This is the Myeloma Team Podcast. I'm Kenny Caps. My podcast partner is Yolanda Brunson Cerebo. Getting past the obstacles that life throws at you takes a team effort. When you or someone you care about is living with multiple myeloma, it takes a myeloma team. Welcome back to the second part of our conversation with Dr. Nicole Gormley, Director of the Division of Hematologic Malignancies at the U.S. Food and Drug Administration. At the beginning of this conversation, we talked to Dr. Gormley about the discrepancies, disparities, and general distrust of our healthcare providers here in the U.S. within African-American communities. Today, we continue that discussion and ask, how do we solve this? Where do grassroots begin to grow? This isn't a conversation that's going away anytime soon. Yolanda and I have lots of questions for Dr. Gormley, but there are no easy answers. Let's jump right back into it. Do you find that as a physician of color that you get maybe a better response, or do you know, um, or do you have a feeling that there's that you're getting a better response than physicians who are not of color, who are you know from Caucasian physicians? Yeah. Yeah, that's a great question, and, and there's um, a ton of data looking at this as well. Um, and, okay. you know, I, I think there's definitely something to be said for having um, a diverse um, care provider um, community as well. Um, that, you know, there is some, I think, more comfort, you know, in an African-American patient having perhaps an African-American physician or an Asian patient having an Asian physician, et cetera. Um, or, you know, sometimes some women are more comfortable seeing women physicians. So I think, you know, ha- that it's important as well that we have diversity of healthcare providers um, sure. just in general. Um, but I think as well um, that, that that doesn't have to be a limitation, you know, at all. I think, mm-hmm. you know, um, African-Americans and Asians, uh, others, other minority uh, groups can feel comfortable, you know, quite comfortable with um, providers of different uh, races and ethnicities. Um, but I think, you know, oftentimes um, there just needs to be some level of uh, cultural competence that goes along with that. And there's, you know, plenty of centers and, and physicians that do this exceedingly well. Um, but I think, you know, it's just, it's, but it, it really, uh, in some extent, requires an, an intentionality to it, you know, um, to be aware that, you know, even as a, you know, a Caucasian provider, you know, the, that the patient seeing you may have some discomfort or how to best address that um, and being sensitive to it. Um, so there, um, I think there's many ways that this can be uh, addressed, but um, I, I, I think all of these are sort of important, you know, cultural competence and, and training and education on the, provi- on the part of um, providers. And then also, you know, um, making sure that we have a very diverse um, uh, healthcare provider workforce um, in the in this country. I love that phrase. I love that phrase. A uh, uh, cultural competence. Could you could you maybe define that a little bit? <laughs> yeah. I think, you know, I, 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 I like it as well. I mean, I, I think it's just, it's sort of the idea behind it being that, you know, um, it, it requires, I think, again, some intention to it, you know, and then also awareness. Um, and that, you know, not every culture um, may feel comfortable in, in with a certain approach. Um, and, and this so, is another part of the healthcare provider, correct? 
Yeah. Right. Yeah, exactly. And so, you know, when I am, am interacting, for example, with an Asian patient, there are certain things that I, that might help or feel them may help make them feel more comfortable. Um, and that, you know, it, it doesn't take a huge effort on my part, but just being aware of those things, you know, can really have an impact um, and, um, you know, go a long way to making, you know, the patient feel more comfortable. Um, and so mm-hmm. I think it's just being aware of those sorts of, of differences and, and there's specific training geared toward this as well, you know, um, that, you know, and if, if we sort of, you know, engage in that way, I think it ultimately can be um, really helpful for people. Let me ask you, um, what do you really feel is the future of multiple myeloma? Like, what does it look like? I mean, is there a cure? Because I know you and I have had a conversation and it was like eye-opening for me because <clears throat> I think we kind of use that word mission, and I don't think a lot of us really understand that. You know, is that a cure? Is it not a cure? So what what is the true future? I mean, obviously you don't have a crystal ball, but are we near getting some type of resolution to this? And maybe you can answer that in regards to your, your feeling on, on minimum residual disease, too, and how that connects to that. Right, right, yeah. Definitely. So, you know, I think I am, I look basically at what we've done um, in the past, even um, four to five years as just unprecedented and, and amazing in all honesty. Um, so like, if you look historically back, um, say uh, there's been studies looking at this, that the estimated median survival um, for patients that were diagnosed prior to 1997 was only two and a half years. Um, and for a patient that's diagnosed uh, currently today, uh, median estimates are exceeding 10 years. Um, so, you know, that's a phenomenal amount of progress. Um, and then I look at the products that we um, have approved here at the FDA. And in just since 2015, so just in four years, we've approved five new classes of products specifically for multiple myeloma. And, you know, like, it's anticipated that it will continue at this pace. Like, you know, um, we look back and we're excited about what's been done, but honestly, there's so much that's coming uh, down the pipeline that I'm super excited about, you know? Um, And so I think, you know, if you look at this sort of um, progress, um, it's it's really just sort of unprecedented um, in this field. And so I think it's it's really amazing what we've done so far. And if this continues, then I, I do foresee that at some point we could be using the words cure and multiple myeloma together. Um, and that's really encouraging. Right. That's great. Yeah, that's, that's truly amazing. Yeah, I've had, I've had some good conversations with Dr. Loneal and, um, and even and, – and Nina Shaw uh, and I had a great conversation also that they really feel that there's been times when there's been, and I'm not sure I'm supposed to actually say this, but, and, and, and so maybe I'll edit this part out, but that, that they think that they actually have cured. They're just not sure why. There's not, they're confident that that's happened, but it's how to replicate that. That's the challenge um, because yeah. every, you know, every person is a, uh, mishmash of DNA differences, and so um, how do we come up with a commonality there in order to repeat that? Yeah, and and then just to tie that into what you were mentioning about minimal residual disease, it's because of our success that we'll need new measures, you know, for activity. Um, that you know, um, just with some of the products that we approved in 2015. Uh, 16, um, you know, some of them are having response rates of 93%. And so if you have wow. as a baseline, you know, a product that has an overall response rate of 93%, uh, you know, how, how do you get better than 93? I mean, like, <laughs> you 
you know, patients or something like that, you know? Um, And so, and then also, you know, you can't necessarily um, follow people for 10 years to wait for overall survival either, you know, which is a great problem. So um, the issue is, is that, you know, we do need to look for endpoints that we can measure earlier than response rate, earlier than overall survival, earlier even than progression-free survival. And that's where I think the efforts of looking at and trying to understand minimal residual disease better, you know, is, is going to be really um, and so at the agency here, we're really committed to trying to look at it and see how we can best use it in drug development. Um, but I think it really ultimately will be a huge component of how we deal with things in the future. If we have this continued unprecedented uh, success that we have, which I, I, I expect I mean, will. I mean, in the past right. probably 50 years, I think medicine so, it's exponentially uh, uh, increased in, in success. So, yeah, I don't, I don't see that it's going the other direction after a long time. Y'all are doing amazing things, so I'm I'm super impressed and and thankful. Thank you, definitely. Thank you. (laughs) Um, So, because because Yolanda uh, is now in full remission, and um, and 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 I'm and I'm sort of hanging around on the same uh, maintenance therapy that I've had for the past four years um, since I had a transplant. So that's great. um, And since and since I was actually diagnosed, you're right. There have been so many other things that have come up that I keep waiting to hit the second tier in order to maybe get to an actual uh, MRD. I mean, get get a, a you know get that into that negative zone of, of response because um, I just didn't hit that. But there's so many different options now. There's traditional um, dexamethasone, Revlimid, Velcade. Just right. is, is almost that's old school. Yeah. Just to to add, it's funny because for me, when I started like 11 years ago, the the drug that was mentioned was thalidomide. And Mm -hmm. I don't even hear that too much now because it's like an influx of other better things. You know what I'm saying? Um, So it's amazing. It really is. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's exciting and and uh, yeah, it's it's it gives. I think it gives a lot of people a lot of hope, and and honestly, not just in the myeloma world. Um, I think. Yeah. I mean, certainly all cancers, but specifically, I think all blood cancers because so much mm-hmm. of it crosses over. Um, in some of just my loose dealings with uh, the LLS, they have the how they have blown up, and I'd say the past three or four years um, and in terms of just how much information that they have to convey to um, people who have blood diseases, leukemia, lymphoma, um, myeloma, and of course all the orphan diseases. It's um, amazing. So um, it's just absolutely crazy. Yeah. We're living in exciting times, but it's it's great. And honestly, it's a privilege to be a part of it. I really uh, love it. You right. Yeah. Oh, that's great. <laughs> yeah. Kenny, what else do you have? I think we're almost done. I think we've got about everything, every question we, we put up there, you you <laughs> nailed before we ever got there. Um, now, now, there are so many other questions that, um, that I have for you, but honestly, I think that I need to take you out for a beer and then 
and, and solved that uh, solved the world's problems at that time. Um, but I, I thank you very much. Um, I mean, you've absolutely been amazing. Um, no, you have. And, and thank and, you. And again, thank you for so much for for what you're continuing to do and and bringing awareness to the community and kind of keeping us involved. This is tough from my perspective. It's really hard. And again, I'm learning about the the value of patient advocacy over the past you know, two or three years, I, I've discovered not only the value to other patients, but the value to the medical community, the pharmaceutical community, the research community, mm-hmm. because there's so much of that, that that you're not getting from who you normally talk to, or at least not yeah. traditionally. Um, yeah. As the as the son of a retired physician, I understand the world in which they live in, and it's not reality um, in, in terms of where the rest of the you know the world lives and where patients are. And when you get down to cancer, it's an even tighter group of people that don't see um, what they're in. And and no offense, hematologists, you're 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 a little brainy for the rest of us. <laughs> and, and so and so sharing that information sometimes is hard. It gets it gets yeah. uh, the message gets lost um, before yeah. it gets down to us. I mean, I think of um, you, you mentioned Ash earlier, and I know that that conference was just in Orlando. Uh, uh, what a week ago, a week and a half ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah. and it's a very in, in my opinion, it's still a very exclusive, um, not inclusive group. Not to say that they don't have uh, uh, patient advocates, but even those patient advocates who, Yolanda, and I know a lot of them, um, exactly. they're sort of high level too. The, even those patient advocates, they may have cancer, but they are also, a lot of them are physicians, uh, people mm-hmm. that have been in the education community, uh, people that have been in the academic community for a long time. So there's still, it's it, there, so somewhat Ash is preaching to the people that um, want the information, but may not be getting to the people that really need it, or at least the vast majority of patients. Um, and I know exactly. that is, is essential for y'all. Yeah. So thank you for doing things like going to the churches and talking to um, the African-American community, which is such a major uh, a part of this. Um, so again, thank you. It's critical. Yeah. My pleasure. Yeah, it, it, it is really important. And thank you guys for everything that you're doing, too. I mean, I, it really is a multi-pronged effort here, you know, and, and I appreciate the outreach that you guys are doing because it does help. Um, it helps people understand, I think, because I think oftentimes when we uh, or other physicians speak, sometimes you're right. There is a little bit of a, um, a, a, <laughs> a translation that needs to occur, you know. Yeah, <laughs> right. That's, that's right. Yeah, I need an interpreter next to me. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's right. It's true. Thank, Thank you, guys. Thank you, Dr. Guarly. Thank, Thank you, Charlie. Bye-bye. Bye. 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 Nice Bye. to meet y'all. Bye-bye. Bye. Obviously, the issues surrounding health, wellness, quality of care, race relations, and trust within the extended healthcare community is not over. It affects us all, every stinking one of us. To achieve a level of cultural competency, we have to start with purpose and intention. It begins with acknowledging a need. Thank you for being a part of the conversation. Keep listening. <laughs>